Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are doing another special program this week that is uh, actually bridging between two groups of folks. Uh, it's the folks who are regular listeners to this radio broadcast and the individuals who are joining us for our Fast 8 weight loss program. We actually call it a weight and health optimization program. And uh, if you're a regular listener, you've been engaged with us in this program. If you're just joining us for today, we've got some really great news because it's going to be speaking to you about practical things. We're going to be speaking about physical activity. We're going to be speaking about rest. And we're going to be speaking about meal timing. All of those things are planned for today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. And I do want to welcome those of you that are joining the video edition, especially if you're joining it for our live premiere. Eh, not actually live, but our instant premiere on YouTube. This program is set to air on March 5th at 7 p.m. If you're listening on radio and you say, boy, I'd love to see some of the video footage for this program because we'll have a number of graphics and other things that we'll add to this program's uh, real appeal and its uh, relevance for you, you can check it all out at TimelessHealingInsights.org. That's www.TimelessHealingInsights.org. Well, we want to dive right into the program. I know uh, the last time we did this, actually it was our last week's episode, both of the radio show and of our Fast 8 program. I spent a fair amount of time trying to make sure that everybody who was a uh, a listener was kind of up to speed. If you're just jumping into this and you say, what is this guy talking about? Quick, uh, just very brief overview. We've been helping people throughout the country and throughout the world on an eight-week journey to improve their health and weight. We call it FAST8. That's simply the word FAST, F-A-S-T, and the number eight. The reason for the name of the program, it is an eight-week program, thus eight fits perfectly, but it is also a program that is built on eight fasting strategies, things that uh, you can employ that can help you be successful in trimming down. Now, I know a lot of people, when they hear fast, they're thinking about all the things they have to give up, but we're going to put that in a different context. If you're hearing it just for the first time today, because we've really got some very exciting news, things that really can revolutionize your life and health, even if you're at your ideal weight or if you feel you're underweight. The principles we'll be talking about in this episode, whether you're watching it or whether you're listening, is going to be, I believe, life-changing for many people if they've not engaged with these principles before. And I can tell you as a physician, I have found many people have not engaged with these practical strategies. So let's get right down to business. The goal for this week, so we're launching the fifth week of our program, and this is really a critical juncture. We've told people that up until really this week, you can jump on the, quote, eight-week program and get up to speed 
finish the program. This radio show is airing the first full week of March, and uh, so is this uh, broadcast uh, television video. It's going out also on March 5th. If you haven't jumped on to the program by this week, we're really telling folks, just go back to the very beginning, do the program in the eight weeks that it was designed to be run. If you're just jumping on for the first time, you're excited about it, go right now to the Fast 8 website. Again, that address, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. Just go right there, and what you do is you sign up, you register, you'll get the full program handout. It has all kinds of graphics and information that we're going to be covering in this program and that we've covered in the four weeks prior to this. So that will bring you up to speed. You can work at it at your own pace and join us for the remaining four weeks of the program. So that's uh, an overview of what we're doing. Now we're in week five. I'm introducing you to week five. We're kind of at the middle point of the program. It's eight weeks. So this Saturday night, March 5th, when this video was designed to air, is right at the midway point. It's at the end of the fourth week just before the beginning of the fifth week of eight weeks, so right smack in the middle of the program. And what we do is we talk about the challenge for that week. This weekly challenge, and I've got the handout right in front of me on one of my devices, and uh, it's focused on meal timing. And we want to spend some time talking about that. Let me just read the challenge for you. It says, this week's challenge, consume no calories after 3 p.m. each day. And then we say, why is this so important? Our bodies are metabolically different later in the day than closer to when we awaken. Research studies going back many decades have demonstrated that individuals tend to lose weight by simply eating earlier in the day, even if their total caloric intake is unchanged. So let me take you back in time, back into the 1970s, Before I was even engaged in medical research, uh, didn't have an MD degree after my name. At that point, actually, I had no idea that I would be a physician, I don't think. Um, Well, maybe I was thinking about it in the 70s. Anyway, the researcher, fellow by the name of Armstrong, Armstrong got together a group of volunteers, and he gave them an opportunity to answer the question that might be on your mind today. And that was, does it make any difference what time of day you eat the calories as far as your weight? What he did using the very same people and prescribed meals where everyone had to eat the same number of calories per day. In the design of the study, the same individuals at one point in the study were given those calories early in the day. They ate all the calories early in the day. At another point in the study, the same subjects ate the same amount of calories, the same meals, later in the day. What do you think Armstrong found? He found that when you eat the calories early in the day, same number of calories, you tend to lose weight. Take those same calories, you eat them later in the day, you tend to gain weight. The only difference, the time of day at which they ate. We've known this for years. You know it if you have diabetes. In fact, let me tell you about a patient right now. Just uh, someone I was dealing with uh, in telemedicine not all that long ago. This individual telling me a story I've heard 
if not dozens of times, maybe even hundreds. Eh, maybe that's a stretch, but it's a common scenario. People will go to bed with a good blood sugar. We'll call this guy Ralph. Ralph goes to bed. His blood sugar is 120. He does not eat anything before going to bed. He gets up in the morning and his blood sugar is 160. How could that be? How could it be? How could your blood sugar go up when you didn't eat anything? Well, basically, the way our bodies are designed is such that hormonally, we are geared to be active early in the day. And one of the things that happen is you have a hormone called cortisol. And cortisol is put out in the early morning hours, shortly before it's your normal time to rise. And that cortisol is designed to do what? It's designed to get you ready for the day. You say, well, what does it do? One of the things it does is that whole hormonal process speaks to your liver and tells your liver to put out sugar. If you have diabetes or insulin resistance, the liver doesn't respond to that signaling appropriately and tends to put out more sugar than is appropriate. As a result, what happens to your blood sugar? It goes up inappropriately. And so you wake up in the morning with a higher blood sugar. You hadn't eaten anything in the night. Sometimes you may have heard of it called the dawn phenomenon, blood sugars rising early in the day. Now, you say, okay, well, what does all this have to do with meal timing? Why it's so critical for meal timing is because we're speaking about something extremely important, and that is to understand that physiologically you're different. Early in the day, your body is geared for productivity, performance. You look at study after study on breakfast eating, and what do you find? Whether you're looking at military recruits or people in the job market or children in school uh, or senior citizens, you eat a good breakfast and you will perform better throughout the day because your body is looking for fuel because it is focused on productivity and performance early in the day. Later in the day, the whole picture changes. As we get closer to bedtime, your body is interested in what? Your body is interested in rebuilding. And so hormonally, you move into a phase that is designed to store calories or take calories and translate them into rebuilding. Now, that's great as far as rebuilding muscle and rebuilding other tissue that's uh, suffered from some of the wear and tear of the day. But if you have excess calories in later in the day, you can guess what is going to be rebuilt or replenished, and that is the fat stores. So I could tell you story after story. People I've worked with over the years, they switch away from those heavy calories in the evening, eating more calories early in the day, and their weight comes down. Now, this may cause us to revisit something that I know some of you were scratching your heads about, some of you were maybe even crying foul, like, Dr. DeRose, do you know what you're talking about? Because earlier in this program, one of the program goals, one of the options, actually, and this is going back to week two. I'm going to pull that up for us. So if you've got the handout in front of you, by the way, if you don't, the handout is absolutely free. I think by the time this handout is done, it's going to be a good 50 pages. I know some are already suggesting or thinking this would be good to put into a book form. Uh, maybe we'll do that. Uh, no promises, but uh, I think it would be. 
great to put into a book form. But right now it's free as a handout. We continue to add to it each week. That's why we've encouraged you to um, make sure that you register for the program and not just download the handout. So um, coming back to that point, if you're wanting the handout, go to that website, www.timelesshealinginsights.org. Some have been asking why I'm giving two addresses, so let me um, answer that for you. Sometimes when I give out the address, I give you the timelesshealinginsights.org slash fast8. That's F-A-S-T, the number eight. We say for ease of memory, put all those letters in capital, F-A-S-T-8. If you don't, though, those of you that know how these URLs work, lowercase will work fine, too. But timelesshealinginsights.org slash fast8. F-A-S-T, the number eight. The reason why I'm giving you two addresses, if you're listening to this in real time, so to speak, if you're listening to it in March of 2023, when the radio show and the video were designed to go out, if you go to the Timeless Healing Insights website, the very first thing you'll see is the Fast 8 program. But I realize that there's going to be people watching this down the road, maybe weeks, months, or years later, and we're not guaranteeing that the Fast 8 program is going to stay on top of the Timeless Healing Insights page. So that's why I'm giving you the special URL, the full URL to the program. That is the timelesshealinginsights.org slash fast8. So don't get confused as to, you know, make up your mind, DeRose, why are you giving one address and not the other? Uh, now we're all on the same page, right? Well, with that in mind, I want you to go to the handout. You can download your copy even while you're listening to me. Uh, provided you're not driving. We don't recommend you do that if you're listening to the radio show behind the wheel. But you can download the handout right now as you're continuing to listen to this. And we're going to focus on something, draw some things together, because in week two of the program, one of the goals was to fast from eating between meals. We're going to come back to this. How does that fit in with meal timing? And this whole idea of not eating largely of calories later in the day, there's some amazing insights that you'll get. It can change your life. It can change your weight. Stay by. We'll have more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. 
Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking about things that can change your life, that can change not only your health, but your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your weight. That is the special focus of the FAST-8 program. And I'm talking about uh, really something that we haven't fully explored in this program, and we need to talk about it. It has to do with this difference between meal timing and snacking and, and how that whole equation really fits together. So let's look at it this way. If you were to ask me what is the single worst thing to do when it comes to meal timing as it relates to weight, and metabolism, I would say it is to eat a large evening meal. And this is in our crosshairs right now. So week five, we're encouraging you to see if you can set a goal to eat no calories after 3 p.m. Now you say, well, I don't see any way I can do that. Well, just hang in there for a minute. Let me explain why this ties in with this goal week two of the program. Week two, we give you a number of options things that you could choose between. One of them was to eliminate snacking. So it was to fast from snacking. See, we're talking about eight different fasts. That's one of them, fasting from snacking. That means not eating between meals. Another one of the fasts that we're talking about for week five is fast after 3 p.m. So two different fasting strategies. So here's the interesting thing. If you had to choose just between one of those two, if we said you can only do one, you can't do both, which should I do? Well, that's a difficult question, but let me, you say, don't ask a question where the answer is, it depends. Let me explain it this way. Single worst habit metabolically and for your weight, for your blood sugar, for your blood pressure is eating that big evening meal. So some people go from a big evening meal to grazing. They're eating throughout the day. Some of those people, it will actually help them lose weight. 
But I shared with you other data, and that is data when you look at population groups, you will find that the more frequently people eat, the more they tend to gain weight. Because just honestly, you just look across the board, just statistically, most people are not controlling their consumption at any given meal time. They're not eating just to satisfy hunger, but it's easy for appetite to kick in. And if you're eating multiple times throughout the day, four, five, six times, it is easy to consume more calories, okay? So here's the ideal from my vantage point. Leave out the snacks. That's why we suggested that earlier in the program. And try to eat your last meal as early as possible. Our suggestion is 3 p.m. And let me tell you where that number comes from. Years ago, there was a doctor by the name of Cup, who at the time was believed to be perhaps the oldest practicing physician in the United States. As I recall, he was in his 90s. He was practicing in the state of Texas. Tulane University heard about Dr. Cup. They heard about an unusual weight loss program he had for his patients. Consistently, simply telling them to do one thing. What do you think it was? You guessed it, not eat after 3 p.m. Researchers at Tulane, what did they do? They actually got hold of Dr. Cup's records. I'm sure he granted them the request to use them you know, with appropriate scientific protocols in place and uh, making sure that data integrity was preserved, that no one's you know, names were breached, things like that. It was done quite a while ago, so may not have been done as carefully as it uh, would have been done today. Having said that, what did they find? They found that everyone who followed Cup's suggestions lost weight. He didn't tell them what to eat. He didn't tell them no snacking. He didn't, he didn't tell them to exercise. All he said was change their meal timing. Nothing after 3 p.m. And they all lost weight. Now, here's where we stop. And we remind you about the philosophy of this program. And if you're just jumping on for the first time or you're just tuning in for the first uh, video episode, definitely catch the ones you missed. You can get them all easily at TimelessHealingInsights.org. But here's the interesting thing. We're telling people only set goals in this program that you're confident that you can achieve. Now, I know when I say that with not eating after 3 p.m., the average person is saying, forget that one. I'm crossing that off the list. But here's what I'm asking you to do. For this next week, I'd like you to really try to do something with meal timing. Maybe you're just going to look at your typical meal schedule and you're going to say, hey, I don't get off work till 5.30. I'm lucky to get home at 6 p.m. I'm usually not eating till 7.30 in the evening. You say, well, wait a minute. If you're usually home at 6 p.m., could you move the evening meal hour back from 7.30 to 6 p.m.? Could you try to eat more calories early in the day so that you lighten up that evening meal? What I'm simply saying is the ideal, if you say, hey, I've got flexibility, I'm retired, I'm setting my own schedule, beautiful. I would encourage you to try eating your last calories by 3 p.m. Now, here's what's going to happen if you do that. Let me just, just uh, warn you. Your stomach at, let's say, 5.30 p.m., your normal evening eating time, is going to say, it's time to eat. You say, but I just ate at 3 o'clock. Well, you may not have been all that hungry at 3 o'clock, and you're switching around your meal schedule. 
And at 5.30, you're really hungry. At 6, you're famished. This may well happen. You may feel kind of weak. Your stomach may be bothering you. And the tendency will be just to go eat. But unless your blood sugar is actually low, you know, you have diabetes and you use your normal insulin, you haven't followed my advice and checked with your uh, physician or prescriber and you're making all these lifestyle changes and you check your blood sugar and it's 52 at 5.30 at night, well, you better eat something, especially if your blood sugar is on the way down, okay? And this is not good. But what I'm simply saying is if you can put this into practice, it will be tough at first, but within the course of a week, you would be surprised. Your body is really smart. And if you don't feed it for a few days, it starts learning really quickly. This is not a huge, long, months-long process like developing a taste for less salty foods that we talked about last week. Remember that? I showed you data uh, from a famous study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition back in the 80s where they found it took fully three months for people to fully develop a taste for foods that were significantly less salty, about half as salty as uh, the foods they were habitually consuming. So it took their palates three months to adjust. It is a much quicker timeline when it comes to meal timing. It's not going to be any three months. You may find within a few days or by the end of the week, you're saying, you know what? I don't need to eat after 3 p.m. And I've got more time. I'm not having to cook three meals because what we actually recommend people do they take this seriously. If you're leaving off the evening meal or you know finishing your last meal by three, we say just spread out the two earlier day meals. So you know, eat your breakfast. Maybe you don't have to eat it quite as early if you have some discretion as far as your timing. You say, hey, I work. I got to be done eating by 6 a.m. Well, do that. You say, I don't know if I can make it through till whenever I could have the next meal. Well, maybe you do have a third meal. Uh, maybe you take your lunch break and you really do eat something. You say, well, normally I work through my lunch break. Well, you'd be better off to have some calories at your lunch break so that you could lighten up that evening meal. You, you got the theme? So, so I think we're on the same page here with um, this whole idea of trying to shift that meal timing to earlier. Uh, we've already tried to encourage you to get rid of the snacking. Now we're encouraging you to leave off the evening meal. Now, because... The goal of this program is for you every week to try something new that you feel you can accomplish. If you say, there's no way I can change my meal timing, listen, I get home from work, I eat right when I get home, there's no way I can change it, this is unrealistic, there's no challenge for me in week five. Well, there is. Let's revisit week two. Bottom line is we want you to try something new for week five, some new challenge that you feel you can surround. It may have to do with physical activity. Well, here's what we say with physical activity. The message is do something. And uh, one of the great things we have in, uh, in the book, The Methuselah Factor, I've mentioned this to you before. Um, Methuselah Factor is a, is a book that actually uh, puts in front of you 30 daily challenges. That's the last 30 chapters of the book. And if you're new to this program, We've been telling folks that in place of the first month of the program, this is behind us now, okay? So we're not saying to do this now, but if you, if you want to do um, an alternate program, a 30-day program, Methuselah Factor spells it out. But we've taken those daily goals, those 30 daily goals from the Methuselah Factor book, and we've put them 
into a free video series. That free video series is called 30 Days to Better Health. Guess where you can find it? You got it. TimelessHealingInsights.org. You can sign up for that program. Every day you'll get a link to a six-minute video. Average is six minutes. Some are shorter, some a little bit longer. Uh, I know some of you have already been uh, engaging with that program as well as going through Fast 8. You can do both of them at any any point. If you want to get some of the content and just have something to give you some health inspiration on a daily basis, even for the last half of this program. But my point about it uh, was you could substitute that 30 daily, uh, 30 daily goals in that program for the first four weeks of the Fast 8 program and then catch up with us. Well, well that's where we're at right now. Listen, we have to step away. But we are going to be coming right back with a lot more in today's program. I want to talk with you about exercise, especially for those who are finding it challenging. We'll be right back after these messages. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org. Or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose for the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We are continuing an episode that is being jointly recorded and filmed for our Fast 8 weekly program. We're talking about physical activity. How can you ramp it up if you have limitations? Let me tell you the scenario. I'm adapting things that have come through our website recently, uh, kind of combining it with some other individuals who we've dealt with over the years. But the story goes like this. Someone reached out to us. We'll call her Susie. Susie says she's extremely limited as far as what she can do physically, but she's also extremely overweight. She's five foot two inches tall. She weighs 250 pounds. And because she's had a stroke in the past, she is very limited as as to what she can do. She is able to uh, get out of bed, able to transfer herself from bed to a wheelchair, and then from the wheelchair to the commode or to the kitchen table or the living room, but she's really limited. 
Now, I know some of you are asking questions like, well, is it half her body that's paralyzed? Is it a stroke that affected her more broadly on, on both sides of her body? Those details are immaterial because here's the point that we're going to get at. Many people can increase their physical activity in ways that might be surprising to you. When we wrote our book, The Methuselah Factor, remember the last 30 chapters of this book are daily goals. Every day, another daily challenge. One of the days in that 30-day program, we challenged people to do something interesting. We actually entitled the chapter, Get a Grip. It is day nine in the program. And if you're going through the free online program, the 30 Days to Better Health, you'll find a very similar goal there for day nine. Get a grip. You say, well, what is that talking about? Are you talking about stress management or what? What is Get a Grip all about? Well, I'm going there. It's actually chapter 23 in the book, day nine of the program. The reason why it's not chapter nine is because the first 12, 14 chapters of the book are all dealing with the importance of, you guessed it, the Methuselah Factor. It's a book about improving the health of your circulation, improving your blood fluidity, and all the good things that it does for you. But day nine, get a grip. So you say, well, what is this all about? We actually go through a protocol to uh, actually do physical activity where you don't have to have functional legs. You can be an amputee, and you don't need legs to do one of the exercises we spell out here. Uh, you don't have to have much strength in your arms even. But whatever strength you have, here's how the exercise works. It's hand grip sessions. And let me just uh, explain the protocols. We have it in the book. You do these hand grip exercise sessions three times a week. During each exercise session, you're going to perform four sets of the exercise. You use your dominant hand for two of the sets and you use your non-dominant hand for two of the sets. So if you're right-handed, two sets with the right hand, dominant hand, and then two sets with the left hand. You say, well, what does it consist of? What are these sets? What you do is you hold a grip device continuously for two minutes. You've seen those little grip devices. You know, most people, I, I had one when I was a kid. You know, I'd be pumping this grip device, see how many times you can pump it before you get tired. In this research, this is based on research, all you do is you squeeze it and hold it tight. You don't pump it back and forth. You hold it tight. The grip strength device should be such that it requires 30% of your grip strength to grip it. So someone who's quite weak, maybe they have had a stroke, maybe they have other uh, neurologic issues, they don't have much grip strength, you could still theoretically do this, 30% of your grip strength. You can go to a fitness club or to a maybe even a sporting goods store. They might have a what we call a dynamometer, something where you can measure your grip strength and say, I need something that has me exert 30% of my grip strength. So 30% of your maximal voluntary contractions, the maximum force you can exert squeezing, and you do that for two minutes. Then you take a one-minute break and you switch to the other hand. See how it works? Switch back to the opposite hand after a minute, and you do four of those sets, two for each hand, so that's going to be eight minutes, right? Two, with, uh, two times two, four minutes with the right hand, two times two, four minutes with the left hand. If you say, I'm paralyzed on one side, you just do it one, with one, one hand. And you say, well, what's, 
what am I getting from that? The amazing thing about these activities is they actually found that it could lower your blood pressure. If you had high blood pressure, you could get your blood pressure down as much as 13 points systolic and 6 points diastolic just by doing that simple exercise, just by doing that simple exercise for six weeks. Just three times a week, an 11-minute exercise session. What I'm getting at, it may not be that. It may that you be that you can't use your arms much, and uh, but you can use your legs some. Maybe you'll get one of these uh, stationary bikes or a device that can go under your table, and you can pedal that or walk with it. Do something to increase your physical activity. Now, if you say, Dr. DeRose, I cannot do anything. And by the way, if you do have serious limitations, check with your physician or physical therapist that you might be working with. Make sure you don't set yourself up to overdo. But this is something great. You may say, I didn't up my exercise. I didn't fast from inactivity like you suggested the second week. And uh, what I'm going to do then is I am going to uh, fast from inactivity when it comes to week five. Okay? So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at some different strategies that you can incorporate. Let me come back to a few others, too, because um, this is really, really worth discussing. One of the other challenges that someone was pointing out to me that we didn't really talk in great detail about had to do with these two dimensions that we also mentioned in week two. The reason why I'm going back to week two, week two, we had a lot of different options. We asked you to choose two. Remember, the minimum thing we're encouraging you to do is find at least one thing, one different thing, one fasting strategy that you're going to try each week. If that fasting strategy, you say, this were great, I could continue it. Yes, go ahead and keep continuing it throughout the program. If you say that was really tough, I'd never do that for the rest of my life. This is not sustainable. It's okay to drop it off and try something different. But during that second week, when we gave you a number of options, we had a couple of things that I want to um, draw your attention to. One was fasting from negativity. And we spoke a little bit about that. I want to talk a bit more about it today. And then the other one that's somewhat related is fast from judgmentalism. Fast from judgmentalism. And here's why we want to talk about these things in the middle of the Fast 8 program. It's very possible that where you're at right now, you may be like one of the folks who's been communicating with us, excited about what this program has been doing for them. You're excited because you've lost five pounds or you've lost 10 pounds. And we've heard from folks like that who've been seeing success already. But others of you may say, hey, I'm not seeing anything or my weight is actually up. I'm just going to throw the towel in on this. I'm encouraging you not to do that. Some of the things that we've been talking about in this program even though over the long haul they help you lose weight, you can actually gain weight in the short term, even though it's a weight-losing strategy. Let me come back to that example of exercise. If you've not been doing anything and you ramp up your physical activity, you can have sore muscles as a result. Those muscles can be inflamed. Inflammation brings fluid with it. The inflammatory process includes swelling to some extent. So you can actually be increasing muscle 
weight. Not just because you're building muscle after a few days, maybe you haven't done much of that, but you've got inflammation in those muscles, you're retaining more fluid as a result in the muscle tissue, and your weight is actually up. There's a number of things like that that we've been talking about. As you're making changes, things can fluctuate. If you're a woman still during your reproductive years, your weight will fluctuate with the time in your cycle, monthly cycle. So here's the thing. If you've been tempted to be negative, to judge yourself, judge the program, judge other people. You're going through this program with someone else. They're not doing very well as far as the numbers on the scale, but you are. Don't say, well, hey, listen to me. What's your problem? Why aren't you doing this? Remember, we are trying to de-emphasize the scale and emphasize healthy lifestyle changes. Having said all that, let me bring you back to the uh, Methuselah Factor book, okay? And uh, I want to go with you to a later chapter. It's chapter 28, because we're speaking about judgmentalism and negativity, how this can undermine you. We have a chapter there that's called Forgive. Forgive. And uh, here's the challenge as this chapter spells it out. Extend forgiveness to at least one person who has wronged you and you have not already forgiven. Optional, perform at least one act of unmerited kindness each day. Now, why I am reading this to you at this point is for a simple reason. One of the best ways to address negativity and judgmentalism is with kindness and forgiveness, using positive virtues to offset the negative ones. Let me tell you one of the things we put into this chapter. We put um, a table that was drawn from um, a variety of sources that talked about simple acts of kindness that you can do. And why I'm talking about this is a lot of people say, well, I have nothing to be thankful for. How can I cultivate gratitude? I'm on this uh, Fast 8 program, and I'm not making the kind of progress that I'd like to make. Well, this week, this week, you could challenge yourself with something that helps put your mind in a better frame of reference. If your mind is in a better frame of reference, this is one of the keys, actually, to optimizing your health and optimizing your weight. I know these dots may not always connect that easily, but they are powerful. So let me tell you about these examples of unmerited acts of kindness. And the reason I, you know, some people say, uh, you know, they use other terms for this, random acts of kindness. Well, I don't like the word random as much. I like this unmerited acts of kindness because it could be something fairly random where you're saying, you know, I haven't thanked my boss in a long time and he's a great guy, so I'm just going to do that tomorrow. Well, that's pretty random, but... Um, you wouldn't say it's unmerited. So this is looking for people, situations where they have no claim on you doing anything nice for them. Let me give you um, some examples. When provoked, be polite on the road. When provoked, be polite on the road. When you're tempted to hit your horn or maybe in some other way display your lack of approval for someone's driving, smile instead. Look the other way. You say, well, how does this help me not be negative or not be judgmental? At the end of your day, when you think about what happened, when you're making a gratitude journal, you can be thankful that you exercised this principle, unmerited acts of kindness. 
I want to share with you some other powerful stuff in our final segment of today's program. We do have to step away just briefly. If you are just jumping on with us, the program is called Fast 8. You can connect with full program materials at www.timelesshealinginsights.org. I am your host, your guide, Dr. David DeRose. I will be back with you right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are doing another special edition of the radio broadcast, which is doubling as a video presentation. The video is going out through a website called Timeless Healing Insights, and we're recording content that will also be used for our fifth evening, our fifth weekly installment of a series called Fast 8. I've been trying to help you realize that you can make simple lifestyle changes that can revolutionize your health, can revolutionize your weight, can help you trim down, even though you thought it was not possible. We stepped away talking about some, what I like to call, unmerited acts of kindness. Some people like to call them random acts of kindness. And I want to talk with you about a few more because one of the things that can really undermine your health 
and undermine your efforts to develop a healthier lifestyle in general is negativity and judgmentalism. We don't like to be judged by other people, but let's be honest, we often judge ourselves. Sometimes that's the worst thing. We put ourselves down. We say, we're just a failure again. I've been on this fast eight program. I'm failing. Nobody's a failure on this program. Remember one of the messages, if you stick with it, hang in there. You've been with us for four weeks. Maybe you just jumped on. Hang with us for the final four weeks, and you are a success story. We're helping you to connect with lifestyle practices. Some of them that we're introducing in the last half of the program may be the most powerful for you. So don't give up right now. Okay, we're coming to figure 22 again. This is figure 22 in the Methuselah Factor book. It is featured in day 28 of the 30-day program. Again, same daily goals you can connect with by going to TimelessHealingInsights.org and signing up for the free 30-day lifestyle program. But these examples of unmerited acts of kindness, let me give you a few more, and you'll see why I'm making this connection. Here's we've got something that uh, it says the time commitment for each of these acts of kindness. And here's one that can take one to several days. Listen to this. Have a judgment-free day when you say nothing critical about anything or anyone. What would that be like? I have a friend, also a um, healthcare uh, provider, who has done this with patients, uh, hundreds of them, uh, public groups, he's used this, has people go on a criticism-free program, a fast from criticism and judgmentalism. And many people, it just revolutionizes their perspective. What would happen if you weren't saying negative things about yourself when you looked in the mirror, saying how fat, how disgusting, how ugly I am? By the way, here's the interesting thing. No matter what you look like, what researchers tell us is it just about everyone, no matter whether you think they have the perfect physique, the perfect face, they find things to judge themselves about, to be critical about. Go on a judgment-free day. How about this one? Organize an event to clean up a public park, a roadway, or other public space. You say, that's a big commitment. That can't happen this week. Okay, let me give you something smaller. Several minutes to an hour. You can write a positive sticky note to brighten up someone's day. How about this? Send an encouraging postcard, letter, or text. Texts are easy. Postcards, letters, a bit more challenging in this day and age, but they carry a lot more weight, right? If you get a postcard from someone, that uh, carries a lot more weight than a text message, doesn't it? Anyway, the point is there's a lot of things you can do. So if you say, this week, I can't change my meal timing. I know what the goal is. The ideal, Dr. DeRose, you said, if I could shift my meal timing earlier, ideally eat nothing after 3 p.m. You've decided you can't do it. It's not a realistic challenge for week five. Go back to week two. That's my challenge. Go back to the handout. Say, hey, I didn't tackle this thing, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast from judgmentalism. I'm going to cultivate positive things. I'm going to do positive things. You get the picture. Let me tell you something else that I really have to talk with you about. It has to do with something else that we visited in week two. And this was fasting from overactivity. Remember, we had fasting from inactivity. That was a challenge for you to exercise. Fasting from overactivity was the challenge to get rest. I'm going to go to another book that we've talked about during this series. It's a book called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. It's another book that I co-authored. Methuselah Factor book. Listen, any book that you do, even though I'm the quote sole author of the Methuselah Factor book, you lean on a lot of people, editors, 
multiple editors helped uh, with the Methuselah Factor project. And uh, the uh, Blood Pressure book was a joint project, not just with editors, but also with uh, other health care providers, Dr. Greg Steinke, Trudy Lee. In this book, one of the things that we knew from the research that was really raising blood pressures in America and the world was not getting enough sleep. And uh, we talked earlier in this uh, Fast 8 program that if you're cutting yourself short on sleep, you're actually contributing to weight problems. Lack of sleep is a cause of obesity and weight gain. And it has to do with hormonal mechanisms that kick in when you're not getting enough sleep. So some of you might have been frustrated and you said, week two, I'm not choosing that one because I'd love to sleep more, but I've got insomnia. I can't sleep. Let's come back to it for week five, uh, especially if you're not going to do the, the challenge about changing the meal timing. I did want to speak with you about some of these other options that you've got. You can always go back to one of the other goals that you didn't implement. And, uh, and if you said, you know what? I tried this, but I think there's some things I could do differently. I just want you trying something different each week. One of these lifestyle principles, because remember, at the end of eight weeks, I want you to be able to say, here's one or two or maybe three things, but just one I'm happy with that I really could do for the rest of my life. And we heard from a woman earlier in our series. She's been one of our participants, Melora Priest, how she did this. She tackled one lifestyle change stuck with it. What happened? Her weight started coming down. When she felt like she had mastered that one, added another one. Two or three years later, she's down 95 pounds. It is a powerful, powerful approach. What I'm going to is chapter nine in this book. Chapter nine in this book has our most extensive table, and uh, I am planning to put that in the handout. We have uh, gracious consent from the publisher that we can put this table in your handout for the Fast 8 program. Remember, if you haven't gotten the handout, please do it. And if you've got an older version that came out before week five, it's not going to be in there. It is figure 9.5 from the book, The Methuselah Factor. And uh, what we do is we go through sleep hygiene principles. Let me give you a few of them, things that you can do that can help with getting better sleep. Here's the first one. We've been talking about it already. It's getting regular exercise. Uh, the goal we have people working up to is 30 minutes a day. And if you say, well, I can hardly do anything. If you're doing something that's more focused on being active for 30 minutes, it might seem like it's fairly limited, but this can make a difference. Here's another one. Interesting one. Listen to it. Keep evening meals light at least four hours before bedtime. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't this just what we're talking about for the week five goal? Yeah, if you can't do the exact goal the way I stated it, this is something that can help you sleep better at night. A lot of these things are interrelated. So here's the deception, and we mentioned it in this table. Eating late at night, because eating stimulates what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, or, or better said, engages the parasympathetic nervous system. That is the nervous system that's involved with resting and digesting your food. So when you activate that, that kind of works in contrast to what we call the sympathetic arm of your unconscious or autonomic nervous system. I know I'm throwing out a lot of terms, but the bottom line is this. Eating in itself will often help you feel more sleepy and rest. Many cultures, what do they do? They take a rest after they eat. Not the best if you have reflux, especially if you're laying down. But here's the point. 
this is not optimal for weight loss, especially at night. You don't want to eat before going to bed, even though it may help you fall asleep. You say, what can I do instead? That's why we're talking about these other things. Avoid caffeinated beverages. We've talked about that already in the program, but caffeine, especially after lunchtime in some people, if they're sensitive, can undermine their sleep quality. Nicotine, another stimulant that we've talked about, it too can undermine your ability to get to bed, to fall asleep. Now, here's something we really encourage, and that is to be on a regular sleep schedule. Even on days when you're not working, try to stay on the same schedule throughout the week. This will help your hormonal mechanisms to gear you down at an appropriate time to sleep and then help you get up at an appropriate time to wake up. Let me give you um, one other thing here, and that is mentally prepare for sleep. That is wind down mentally before bedtime. This is a critical strategy. Don't be taking all the problems of the week or the day and carrying them with you right up until bedtime. A lot more great strategies in the book. We'll put in that handout for you, the, the table that I've been quoting from. That could be your goal for week five. If you can't change your meal timing, moving those calories earlier in the day, pick out one of the other goals. I'm glad you were able to join us for today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. We've been giving you practical strategies that can help your health and help your well that can help your health and help your weight. We call it the Fast 8 Program. Engage with the program at timelesshealinginsights.org. That's www.timelesshealinginsights.org. For all of us at American Indian and Alaska Native Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio. 